Father, we just come to you today just to uh, thank you for who you are, for giving us another another day on this earth, uh, just to marvel at what you've created. Father, I ask that you be with us today as we study your word. Uh, thank you for Bob, to Bob for bringing the word, and also ask you to bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and us to your service always. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. <coughs> You're welcome. Well, the uh, Ron's kind of following the outline of the Nicene Creed, you know, the basic doctrines, and uh, which talks about uh, God the Father, the Creator, and then Jesus Christ. It has more to say about Christ, probably. You know, talks about Him being uh, uh, light of light, God of God, true God from God, and so forth, to clarify that, that, that He is truly man and, and truly God. But then, uh, what what did Christ come for? What is redemption, or what is salvation? Uh, if you were uh, in in one sentence, you know, if you ask Christians or if you're just in the church, or, or particularly if you ask people outside the church, what what do people talk about? What do they mean when they talk about being saved? What is that? What? Are, what People Say, outside the church what is usually don't understand that. Yeah, what is that? Yeah. Uh, what would what, uh, what do you think most people would say? Could they wouldn't, probably wouldn't say everlasting life. Save from the devil. Save from hell. Sa- save from the devil? Yeah. <laughs> the devil's out to get you? Yeah. yeah. They probably wouldn't say everlasting life. They wouldn't no. understand what the concept was. I think a lot of people would say, well, it means that my sins are forgiven. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Have the sins forgiven? Be saved? Uh, I've heard jokes about it. I'll tell you what, won't y'all do a survey at church Sunday morning? (laughs) Ask five or ten people. Yeah, that's a good one. Tell me, what is salvation? (laughs) You've been saved, right? What were you? What does that mean? To me, it's everlasting life. Saved from drowning? Living everlasting life, saved from from what to what from death or to death, yeah, to everlasting life. And of course, the in the Old Testament, if you look at salvation, the words being saved and salvation in the Old Testament refer to deliverance from some kind of oppression, right? From slavery, or uh, and ultimately deliverance from death. Uh, and I just I have three verses here that I just picked out. I mean, you could go uh, through the Old Testament and you'd find multiple verses that talk about being delivered or saved. Right. Uh, uh, Psalm 54, I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. I give thanks to the Lord, for he has delivered me. What's he delivered me from? Every trouble. Yeah. All the troubles that I have in this world, he delivers me. And my eyes looked in triumph on my enemies. <laughs> You'll be delivered once you die. And the second one is uh, from Isaiah. O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. We look to you as our deliverer, right? Our Savior. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. When trouble comes, we look to you, O oh Lord. 
and uh, Psalm 9. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See what I suffer from those who hate me. You are the one who lifts me up from the gates of death. You're the one who saves me from death. Now, of course, ultimately, you know, uh, in the time, everybody believed that ultimately you did die. Uh, I mean, there are songs, I mean, they recognize that. <coughs> so ultimately, was your faith in God kind of useless? Because in the end, you're going to die. <laughs> maybe, he, maybe he delivers you from, you, you get a, uh, uh, maybe you get the COVID really, really, really bad and he delivers you. But the issue is when you step maybe, out. Of- maybe your house burns down and he delivers you from that fire. And maybe, but uh, well, ultimately, you're going to die. That's true, but when you step out into eternity, are you with the Lord or are you elsewhere? Well, what did, yeah, what did they, was their hope in deliverance from death? Because they went, they did die. Yeah. Oh, they died physically. Their physical body dies, but their soul doesn't die. <coughs> and do, you, do you end up with the Lord or you end up but it sounds like hell. you know that they were expecting deliverance from bodily death oh yeah when when the psalmist says you're the one who lifts me up from the gates of death oh sure he's not talking about delivering me from spiritual no. death no was his hope misplaced again, uh, again. Psalm 9:13. Point one C. <laughs> Point C. See what I suffer from those who hate me. You are the one who lifts me up from the gates of death. And you can find similar. No, he's rhetoric. talking about physical death there. That's not yeah. just one verse. Right, I'm not right. Picking, it's very. No. So was it misplaced? The, uh, it would be misplaced unless. Even uh, bodily, if, if God does not ultimately deliver us from bodily death, that's the importance of the, of the bodily resurrection. Right. The Old Testament doesn't really say much in most about the bod- uh, the resurrection, does it? No. There is a verse in Daniel, I think, um, and uh, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, he quotes Psalm 16 as a reference to Christ's resurrection because in Psalm 16, David uh, refers to his confidence that he will be delivered from death. Uh, Yeah. He says, uh, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body, my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see decay. And when Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, he quotes that verse and he says, folks, David's grave, we know we know where his tomb is. Yeah. Who is he talking about here? 
it sounds like, of course, it's a psalm of David, but he says he's referring to the Messiah. He's referring to the to the Christ who has been raised from the dead. Right? And of course, it's because Christ is raised from the dead, and we are now in Christ that we will be raised from the dead. Uh, so there is that there is hope of resurrection there. Uh, but, uh, you know, the point is that maybe the, the simplest word, it seems to me, of what salvation is, is deliverance from death. And if that means, of course, being born again spiritually, but it also means resurrection of the body. But anyway, how, how does Christ deliver us? I mean, how does he save us? And there, there's been three ways that people have kind of emphasized this, three ways of looking at that. <laughs> uh, and, and the first one <clears throat> is this subjective. He calls it the subjective. I, uh, I've always thought of it as the moral influence theory. <clears throat> the way Christ saves us is because he loved, he loved, uh, he, he loved us so much he gave his life, didn't he? And it was such a wonderful love, his compassion, that, <clears throat> you know, if, if you've been, uh, <laughs> uh, if you've been a really disobedient child, um, and you've been ugly to your parents, and, and then you realize how much they love you, that maybe you're sick and they tend to you and take care of you, or if it's a friend who does that, and maybe, uh, maybe it's somebody you haven't even been kind to before, but they're kind to you. See, that would change your heart, wouldn't it? You'd say, you know, that would cause me to want to be a better person. So when I see how much Christ loved, or loved me, that makes me want to be a better person. And so that's what salvation is. I'm saved to become a much better person because of the influence uh, of, uh, of Christ's love. That's a, it's called subjective because it, the salvation is something that works inside me, changing me from, from that. That's, that's primarily identified with, with moral theology, uh, uh, liberal theology. He doesn't go into that much. You don't find it. You don't, certainly don't find it in the first several hundred years of, uh, of uh, Christian thought. Uh, and then... The view that you're probably more familiar with is called the satisfaction or, or judicial view. <clears throat> That's been prominent in Western Christianity, Roman Catholic, and Calvinistic churches. Uh, and of course, uh, the Presbyterian Church is Calvinistic. And actually, the Christian and the Baptist churches and the Christian churches have more of their influence from Calvin than almost any other teacher. Whether you think of that, in the Christian church, you don't often give Calvin much credit. 
But, but both Alexander Campbell grew up as a Presbyterian, and his father uh, was a Presbyterian pastor. You know, and they were a lot Bart of roots there. And Barton Stone, you. you've heard of the Campbells? Yes. John and Alexander Campbell and Barton. Have you heard of Barton Stone? You don't see here so much about him. Okay. But he was. Have you heard of Cane Ridge and the big revival at Cane Ridge? <coughs> yeah. The Christian church that started there. Yeah. That was a Presbyterian church. So our our roots really kind of come out of more of the Presbyterians okay. at the, the very beginning when the Christian churches got started. Uh, Alexander Campbell did belong to a Baptist association for a while, but then they kicked him out. <laughs> uh oh. Who was that? Who was that? What did you just say about being kicked out? Alexander Campbell belonged to a, a Baptist association, an association of Baptist churches. Uh, the Cane uh, the Ridge, uh, uh, not the Cane Ridge, it was the other, the, that first, so Washington, Pennsylvania, where, the, where he first uh, started meeting. And he associated that group associated with the Baptist Association for a while, but then they kicked him out. It had mostly, I think, to do with the disagreement about the law. Uh, if you want to look at the history of that. But I think uh, in our tradition, and uh, does this sound more familiar to, to you, that humanity through, through our sin, that's, that's dishonoring God. We have rebelled against God. And it's an offense against God, right? That and, a, and there is a penalty for that, right? There is a righteous penalty. God is a righteous God. See, God can't just forgive sin or, or say, I'll just let it go. Uh, you know, like a, a judge in court, if you've committed a grievous sin, murder, the judge... He, he can't say, well, we'll just let, we'll just, you know, you, I've got, I've got a big heart and I'm going, I'm just going to release you. And Unless you're a Biden. You I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, we, and everybody would say, wait a minute, you can't do that. What kind of judge would do that? That's, right. You've got to do, you've got to do the right thing. You've got to enforce the law, which means you've got to enforce a penalty when there's a violation, right? Yeah. So if God is righteous, he has to enforce the penalty. Right. Yeah. He can't just let you off because he decides to let you off. Uh, but because what, what kind of righteousness there is in that? Um, and, and it's a kind of debt we owe. It's a penalty or a debt that has to be paid. The penalty of sin is what? Death. Death. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, and since we, if we pay the penalty, that means we're lost. Uh, it means death, eternal death. Mm -hmm. <coughs> 
and in fact the penalty for, you know that was the penalty for sin in the garden of eden on the day you eat when you rebel against god you're going to die now they did not physically die that day but death set in ultimately they did die they were right. separated from god for eternity so i mean <laughs> in a sense i pay the penalty for my sin if i want to die uh, and you know, and that's it. I'm separated from God for eternity. Right. But if I'm going to be saved, then <clears throat> another man has to pay the penalty for me. But the trouble is, any ordinary man has to pay the penalty for himself. He, he don't right. have, he can't doesn't have a he can only give one death, right? right? He can only give one life for his sin. Right. So uh, he can't give a life for my sin. But since Jesus is not only a man, he is a man, so he can give a, 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 he can pay the penalty as a man. But because he's also God, his life has infinite worth. It has the worth of God himself, it, it, so it can cover all humanity. So he dies as a propitiation for our, the sin of all humanity. Because he's never sinned. Right. And he <coughs> offers himself as a perfect and infinite sacrifice right. to satisfy the demands of justice and restore the honor due to God. So God can then accept us, forgive us, without uh, and and still maintain His own honor, right? And still be just, as Paul says, He can be just and the one who justifies the ungodly. Does that sound like what you would have been familiar with? Yeah. 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 He paid the penalty for our sin. <coughs> Yeah. In a simple word, you know, he paid the penalty. Right. And so we're forgiven because he, he paid the price for us. Jesus paid it all, all yeah. to him I owe. Yeah. Now, this other view is what's called the Christus Victor view, or the strong... <laughs> it, this, this verse in Matthew is one of the verses that they point to about that Christ saves us by deliverance from the, the power of Satan. This was a view prominent in the church fathers and in the, in the Eastern Orthodox churches, I think, mostly, which, which we're not very familiar with. And it, basically, it means the conquest of death, conquest of death and the gift of eternal life. It's not just not justification of the forgiveness of sins, or it's uh, the moral improvement is the goal. The goal of salvation is the conquest of death and eternal life. Forgiveness of sins is just a, pre, a, a means or a precondition to eternal You can't go into eternal life in the presence of God with, with sin on your soul, can you? Right, right. But the goal is eternal, is to be lived with God forever. And you just got to be cleaned up <laughs> to get there. Right. But the goal 
It's not just to take a bath and get clean. The goal is to be able to go into heaven or to, or to live in God's presence for eternity. And that, <clears throat> so that's what this chapter is about, uh, or most of the binding of the strong man. Let's let's look at that verse. Let's I have a problem with that. Yeah, go ahead. I, I didn't understand. I guess that, that under that Christ, Christus Victus, where they they said that Jesus tricked the devil. Yeah. You know, I, I never thought of it in that manner before that he tricked him into. You know, the devil tried to take over Jesus, yeah. not realizing that he was sinless. And he's sinless and, and, and also God. And was also God, yeah. yeah. And, Underneath uh, that humanity is deity. See, I, I never I, I never heard that before. That was the first time I've heard it. Just well, that's, that's kind of an interpretation. There's no specific verse that right. says Jesus... <laughs> Trick the devil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Listen, yeah. yeah I just, I never, I just never heard that. Yeah. Maybe we should read the, read the message. It probably would say that. I don't know. In the message. <laughs> In fact, you know, when Jesus was being tempted, did the devil say, "If you are the Son of God"? Yeah. Now, when the devil said, "If you are." It, was he doubting whether Jesus was the Son of God? Yeah. The, the demons knew who he was, didn't they? Yeah, yeah they did. So in a that's probably not really the devil knew who he was dealing with. He's trying to trick Yeah, Jesus. I always I always thought <laughs> he's, yeah. trying, he's trying to trick Jesus. Because he knew who Jesus was. So Jesus right. knew that he played the devil's game. Yeah, that's why I always thought of it. I never thought of it as as, as Christ tricking the devil. <laughs> I don't think there's much biblical justification for that particular image, but it's uh, the, the point is that the devil did battle with Jesus, and he was defeated. Yeah. Uh, and the devil took on more than uh, he could. De he defeated me and defeated you and all of us. He defeated Adam yeah. and all of Adam's descendants. But when he took on Jesus, he made his more match than he could, finally. Yeah, he? more than he could uh, handle. Yeah. Uh, uh, but if you look at this passage in Matthew 12, and probably you know, in our churches, you, I don't know whether you've ever heard a sermon in this text. Uh, maybe you have. It starts out... Um, Matthew 12 starts out with verse 22. Um, Bob, read verses 22 through 24. Okay. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But then the Pharisees heard this. They said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Okay. Well, they had their explanation for why Jesus had this kind of power. Yeah, he was the devil himself. That's why he's by the power of the devil himself. He's, he's driving out the devil's demons. Right. And it then, makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? <laughs> 
verses 25 through um, uh, <clears throat> let's just see verses 25 through 26 read that Sam Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand if Satan drives out Satan, who is divided against himself? He is divided against himself. How can, how then can this kingdom stand? Yeah, Jesus said, you know, you're accusing me of using the power of the devil. That doesn't make much sense. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and even, just, let's be logical, guys. Let's yeah. use your logic. You, you reason this out a little bit. What are you saying? Yeah, why would, why would you... Drive out demons. Kingdoms divided against itself can't stand. Right. By the way, Abraham Lincoln quoted that. That was one of his favorite verses. That early on, before this, ever before the Civil War, he had made that statement, quoting that verse, because this was a nation divided against itself. For slavery against right. slavery. And he was thinking, you know, it's got to be one or the other. We're, we're all going to be, we're all going to be for slavery or we're all going to be against it. As it was, you see, some states had, uh, had uh, outlawed slavery. Yeah. And, of course, the southern states had. And, of course, he was right, wasn't it? Yeah. It, and it came to one or the other had yeah. to win out. We're still like that. <laughs> well, if we continue to be so divided, we, it, it will destroy us, won't it? Right. Unless yep. there comes to be some kind of unity. <coughs> yep. The house divided. Yeah. <coughs> Albert, Albert was here. He said, he told me that the slavery in America was the first time that a race of people had ever been used to be slaves, but I had never been thought of as being slaves <coughs> before that. Before? Before the American slavery. Oh, the slavery goes way back. Way back, way back yeah. but he it's said it's been it as far as long that, as we have history that yeah, been slavery. This is the first time a race of people had ever been thought of as being slaves. Huh. But that's not right, because the Hebrews were the, uh, You yeah. read the Bible, it there was, were slaves uh, back Thousands of years. Well, I know it. I know England they are. But the United States uh, were the first countries under the first nations in all of history under the influence of Christianity primarily that that outlawed slavery. Right. That was very unusual. Thank you. Oh, well, Larry, uh, <laughs> yeah, finish, finish the conclusion then, <clears throat> Jesus says then, you know, just logically speaking, you know, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> so read, you got verses 27, 28. Sure. And if by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore you, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or, or, and then read verse 29. Okay. 
29. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Yeah. So basically he's saying, if I'm casting out demons, then uh, that, I'm doing that by the Spirit of God. I can't be doing it by the right. power of the devil. Then this is God's kingdom. God's reign on earth is already being realized, manifested. Uh, the deliverance of the power, I'm, I'm delivering people from the power of the devil. And, uh, and uh, another way to look at this, he says, just think of it. Uh, if you want to rob a, a very powerful person, you've got to go into, before he's going to let you carry off his possessions, you've got to go in and subdue him. Yeah, sure. <laughs> if you don't subdue him, tie him up and make him powerless, he's not going to let you carry off his house, is he? No. Carry off his you can't just walk in and take it. Right. So that what's he saying here? Basically, I am the strong man who's entered into the realm of the devil, and I've tied him up. I've subdued him, and I'm delivering those that are subject to his oppression. <clears throat> so that's where this idea. So Christ is victorious. As Irenaeus puts it, Christ became death, became flesh, he became actually one of us, to undo death and work life in man. That's his purpose, to reverse death and, and institute life uh, so that we have passed, we've passed out of death into life. That's, that's what Christ came for. And he says, as our species descended into death, descended to death through a conquered man, we, we went into death through Adam, who was overcome. So we ascend to life through one who was victorious. And this has a biblical basis in, in Romans 5.17. If because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, which that's what happened, it was through Adam's fall that death reigned. The whole human race was subject to death. Then he says, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Christ Jesus. He is he's the new Adam, the head of the new race, the men who are made alive. <clears throat> and the way Origen put it, he says, Christ ransomed us from the devil's captivity by giving up his soul. He, in a sense, said to the devil, I will let you kill me. When he says his soul, it means his life. I will, I will not resist you then. If, if you want to take me to the, nail me to the cross, so be it. But in doing that, since I do not deserve death, see, then actually I can deliver from death by pay, as a ransom. I'm paying a ransom, which uh, sounds a little bit more like the uh, 
the uh, the other theory. That, right. No, I'm fine. The uh, Satisfaction, a judicial theory, the, which is a ransom paid, a penalty paid by someone else that we can't pay ourselves. But um, and then he, he uh, refers to another teacher, Gregory of Nyssa. These, these are all very famous uh, Christian teachers, first, you know. Second, third, fourth century. And this is the one who says he was he was deceived by apparent Jesus' weakness, and he, and that was the bait which allowed him to attack Jesus. But underneath that was uh, the deity, and by that he was hooked and defeated. <clears throat> Augustine said the Lord's cross was the devil's mousetrap. That was a, a, the trap on which he was caught and ultimately defeated. Uh, there is that verse in John, uh, and um, now is where Jesus was getting ready for his speaking, really of his death. Now is the uh, where is I don't have that reference where he refers to that. Yes, John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 31. That say, Bob? Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And verse 33, too. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So he's talking about his death, isn't he? <coughs> yep. And that's that's the judgment on this world that when the prince of this world will be driven out because he's serving it, the sentence there's this paradox and it. it looks like the devil has won out i've gotten rid of the son of god right I, i've won over this one right right but in fact that was his defeat that's when he he lost his power over us. Well, he lost his defeat was when Jesus was resurrected. Well, that's that's true too. If he had remained in the in the grave, right. but right. the truth is that he had to die for us in order to be raised. Right. He had to prove. He had to. It was in his 
in his power over death. But it, it was in the cross that that was manifested that I can die, I will give my life. But it's not the end. <clears throat> but I believe the devil thought he had one when Jesus was buried and died. I don't think that he realized the end one when Jesus was resurrected. Well, yeah, maybe. So you're saying I, he thought he thought he had won when he put him in the grave. Right. Yeah. But it, uh, but it was through him being lifted up. He's, and when he says I'm lifted up, does that mean lifted up on the cross or lifted up in the resurrection? Yeah, I thought that was lifted up in the resurrection. That's, that's why. I well, he says that when I'm lifted, most people that interpret that as referring to the cross, that that will that will draw all men to himself. That's the that's really what draws us to Christ, isn't it? That he died for us. You look at all the hymns that we sing. But without the resurrection, it wouldn't. Of course, it wouldn't mean anything. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's what kills me about this. But the fact that he would die for us—that's what draws us to him. That he cares enough for us that he would give up his life. That he's innocent. Tells me about these George Barna surveys that the percentage of Christians that don't believe in the resurrection. I don't understand how that works, you know. <laughs> well, uh, it's uh, you can, then you're kind of left with a moral influence theory that Jesus was willing to die. For, he loved you enough to die for you, and that's why you're a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. And now you're willing to follow Jesus, follow his teachings. Be, try to be a good person because uh, Jesus loved you enough to die for you. So the resurrection is kind of irrelevant. You can't save yourself by being a good person. Nope. Well, uh, I guess, but, you know, they would say that the, the love of Jesus will draw you, will make you a better person. That, the influence of his death will. <laughs> but, but see, that also ignores even the need for the new birth, doesn't it? Right. The gift of the Holy Spirit. It, it really ignores God doing, it's just sort of, here's a man who dies for you, and it really has nothing to do with God. They, they really deny the deity of Christ also. That it was God who was in a man who died for us.